Good morning. My name is Lee Taylor. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, as Don already said, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Hope you guys had a great week with uh, family and friends celebrating uh, the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, uh, and that you maybe get some more time over the next couple days as well. Some of you are like, I'm about ready for my family time to be over. And when does school start back, right? Um, as most of you know, my wife Becky and I have our two beautiful little girls, Stevie and Ellie, eight and five. And uh, if all parents in here know that there's times when you have to try to communicate, you have to be able to communicate with your spouse without your kids knowing what you're talking about. You know, there's times when they're right there and you can't get to another room, you can't do something else, uh, you know, you can't pull out your phone and text or something like that. You've got to be able to figure out a way to communicate without them knowing. And so for us, years ago, several years ago, uh, this, was, this was kind of the trick that we employed. So we would be, here's the kind of the scene, Becky and I would be like driving, you know, home from somewhere, uh, Becky right here, the girls would be in the back seat, and, uh, you know, I'd want to be able to say something without them knowing about it, so I'd be like, hey, when we get home tonight, are we going to give the girls T-R-E-A-T-S? And they would not know what's going on, and we'd be able to figure this out, so we'd be on the same page about that, right? Anybody ever employed this tactic before with your little ones? Okay, well, this all stopped a couple years ago once Stevie started to learn how to spell and read because we're driving home, you know, going home from something else, and I'm like, hey, Becky, you know, tonight after dinner, are we going to watch an M-O-V-I-E? And before Becky could even say anything, Stevie goes, a movie? And I'm like, oh, no, the gig is up. All of our ability to communicate without them knowing what we're talking about is over. And now we just have to, you know, figure something else out or just talk about it as a family. But, you know, there's, uh, there's something that we see in our text today. If you, want, if you have your Bible, turn up into Mark chapter 8. That reminds us to varying degrees, we're all kind of walking, walking blindly about life. And then, you know, by grace alone our spiritual sight can be restored in a moment. We can start to begin to see. Previously, we would not be able to see, and then we can see. We are open to, our eyes are open to the, to the truth of God's word. And that this Jesus that we've been, singing out, we've been singing about, we've been singing even this morning and over this last month, this you know, little Lord Jesus asleep in the hay, the holy infant, so tender and mild, this Jesus opens the eyes of the blind man here in our text in Mark chapter 8. And in addition, this Jesus opens the eyes of the spiritually blind. So let me set the stage for us today. Uh, earlier in Mark chapter 8, so if you have, if you have your Bible, but you can kind of look in the texts that are kind of preceding what, what Don already read, but Earlier in Mark chapter 8, Jesus feeds 4,000 people. And so let's just say, you know, roughly that there's about, I don't know, there's probably a little less, but let's just say that there's 1,000 people in here right now, okay? Jesus feeds four times the amount of people in this room. I know, you're like, he's a pastor and a mathematician. Um, but uh, no, 
But just think about, think of the spectacle of that. If you can try to even imagine that amount of people in a given room, okay? And then it says that Jesus had seven loaves of bread and just a few small fish. And so if you just try to imagine just a table of those, you know, just a few items of food and Jesus just multiplying the food and it's being passed out and dispersed and that there's just, there's food left over. Can you imagine all of the the, the spectacle of that, the, just what that, would, what that would feel like, what that would, as a disciple, you're watching this happen, just like, what is going on? And then next, the Pharisees demand a sign and not just a miracle. Then Jesus gets in the boat with his disciples and his disciples who just witnessed this amazing miracle of this food being multiplied, have one loaf of bread and they're like, oh my goodness, what's going to happen? I don't think we have enough food. How are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? You know, like, who's going to get the most? Is are Peter, James, and John going to go first? Does Jesus get a big piece? I don't know. Like, and so they're, they're already starting to doubt the very miracle or the very possibility of the miracle that they just witnessed. Then Jesus heals a blind man that is brought to him. He, he heals him in stages, which is kind of extremely unique. And then after performing this miracle, Jesus walking with his disciples in Caesarea Philippi amongst these different people worshiping different ways. There's these pagan temples. And as they're kind of walking through all these things that are around them, Jesus turning to the disciples and saying, who do people say that I am? And they say, John the Baptist and Elijah and one of the prophets. And then Jesus turns to them and says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter kind of answering on behalf of the disciples, you are the Christ. What a series of events. Briefly this morning, I want us to see two things that I think Jesus teaches us. Jesus is going to teach us who is blind. Who's really blind in this story? And secondly, how is blindness healed? So first, who is blind? The pervading issue that I think Mark is trying to open up our eyes to and is elevating in this chapter and beyond is spiritual blindness. Jesus is very clear that there's only two kinds of people in this world and there's only two kinds of people in this room. There are those that do not know that they are spiritually blind and there are those that do know that they are spiritually blind. First, let's, uh, let's look at this. Let's look at this first category. Uh, you know, the Pharisees give us kind of an example here. If you wanna turn just a little bit before our text, uh, Jesus kind of addressing them and we see that the Pharisees, they, they, they're blind to what, what God is doing. They're, they don't understand. Uh, and one of the ironic things is that in this whole story, in all of Mark chapter 8, and what we see even throughout the rest of Jesus' ministry, by and large, when the Pharisees are interacting with Jesus, who do you think has the most theological knowledge in this story other than Jesus? It's the Pharisees. And at the same time, who do you think is the most spiritually blind in all of Mark chapter 8? The Pharisees. This should be huge flashing warning lights to us, friends, because I know myself, I know many of you in this room, and I know uh, just in general as, as, as humanity how we like to prioritize pouring more and more content into our heads. We must be cautious of information overload. 
Why? Why is that such a dangerous thing? We know, we, we see in scripture, you might have some passages popping into your head of, of uh, you know, that we know that knowledge puffs up and things like that, but it can very easily lead to judgmental, self-justifying arrogance. It's very easy for that to happen. For all the knowledge that goes into your head to start to just look down our noses at the people around us and how they're living their lives and their, their lack of, of intelligence or not being as aware of what's going on uh, uh, theologically in a, in a certain situation. We are by nature sinful and it can make us very judgmental and insecure. We, we have a little Pharisee that's living inside all of us. It's so easy to just to, to, to walk into a room and to immediately look down our noses at people. It's a blindness, friends. It's a blindness. Blind to the truth of the gospel. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, uh, verses 3 through 4, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You know, we don't normally read that and think of, oh, Paul's talking about the religious people. Paul's talking about the, the, the church-going people, right? But I'm afraid it might be true. Jesus says in Mark 2, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. James 4, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. We know that God is near to the brokenhearted, to the desperate, kind of like this blind man. So we see the, the Pharisees are blind to, they're spiritually blind to the truth of the gospel. We even see that in this passage, the disciples are also blind to a degree as Jesus calls them out while they're in the boat. Look at verses 17 through 21. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not, uh, having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? Do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many baskets full of pieces did you take up? They said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? The disciples are still blind to who Jesus is and how things are going to get figured out in the future. You know, they may believe in a moment and then shortly after they doubt the very possibility of the miracle that they just witnessed. So it kind of sets the stage right there. We're all spiritually blind to a degree to the truth of God's word. So how you might be thinking to yourself like, all right. I understand, Lee, I get it, I'm blind. How, how do I get this healed? How is this healed? We're going to kind of see this in two phases, and I got two little personal reflections to go with this, and then we're done. Look back down at 22 through 26. We're going to see this text where Jesus heals the blind man. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And we had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him. He asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again and he opened his eyes and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. 
And he sent him to, to his home saying, do not even enter the village. All right, the first phase is that Jesus opens our eyes. Jesus opens our eyes. The blind receive sight. And you might have already picked up on this, but this miracle that Jesus performs with this blind man has kind of a dual purpose. And, you know, that almost also, you know, Jesus healing this blind man, but also operating as kind of a parable to teach us about spiritual blindness. So Jesus saves by opening our eyes, having a desire to know and follow Jesus. Have you experienced this? Maybe some of you are starting to reflect upon those first moments when you're having your eyes opened to the truth of the gospel, having a desire to know and follow Jesus. This man knows that he's blind. It's a little bit easier than, than spiritual blindness, maybe because he's, he's completely and utterly aware of this. This has been his whole life. And his friends know that he is blind, and they believe that Jesus restores sight to the blind. His friends know it. His friends know who, somehow they know who Jesus is. They know what Jesus can do. And they want to bring this man to Jesus because they know that God uses community to help bring about healing. And just a little plug here for, you know, the church life, the things that we have going on here. If you're in a village group, in a community, you've got friends that you walk through life with. This is what we see in this text even, that these friends bringing this man to Jesus, how in the world would he have ever gotten to Jesus? Is there any scenario that he could have gotten there on his own? They need, uh, this man needed his friends. This means being willing to, to let people into your life. His need was pretty obvious. He's blind. Some of our needs are not always quite so obvious. Have you let people into your life to let them know, I need help with this? They're putting their needs aside to attend to this man. They know that Jesus is the eye opener and Jesus opens his eyes. Have you seen this happen in somebody's life? Here's kind of reflection number one from my life. Uh, I've shared this before with, with certain groups, but one of my best friends, actually kind of my longest tenured friend, uh, going back to, third, uh, to fifth grade, Ryan, my buddy Ryan, uh, back from Memphis, um, you know, he didn't grow up in the church. Uh, his parents, you know, didn't, didn't bring him to church or anything like that, but he was always such a kind guy. I met him in school. We were on some sports teams together, and we pretty much did everything together through those first few years after we met, fifth, sixth, seventh grade, and uh, just loved getting to be with him. And then I got kind of plugged into this group through the church that I was going to with my family and got in a small group and, uh, and was going to this youth group pretty regularly. And so I had that group of friends and, we were, and I was doing stuff with them all the time. And Ryan actually kind of became a part of that friend group because we were kind of mutual acquaintances in school and all that stuff. And, but he never, he never really came to the small group. He never really came to church or anything like that. We just kind of did social things together. And that's kind of what continued on for several years. And then we were in high school and uh, we were 16 and we were, uh, we were at a, our favorite little coffee shop one night and all of us were there, Ryan was there, and uh, me and the other guys, you know, were, I think we were talking about something from the Bible or something that we had read or learned in, in our small group or something, and, and we started talking about Jesus, and, uh, and in that moment, you know, Ryan's sitting there, and I'll never forget this, I mean, he, he literally turned to us, and he was like, can you guys tell me about Jesus? And was like, 
it was one of those beautiful moments, but also like, how in the world have I been friends with you for so long? And I, you know, I want you to know this about me. And, and so it was amazing. We got to kind of talk to him about who Jesus is. And, 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 he, and he accepted the, the free gift of salvation that was offered to him. And, and he, he's been following the Lord the rest of his life. And it's been an amazing thing to watch. Uh, but I'll never forget that, that profound moment of him just, it seemed like in a moment, the eyes being open to the truth of the gospel. What happened with Ryan in that moment? What, if, we, if we had to kind of just actually think about that, what actually happened? He realized he was blind and that Jesus is the eye-opener. He said, you know, can you tell me about who this Jesus is? I've heard about him. Most people have heard about him. Most, most people have been singing these Christmas songs, you know, that don't even believe this over the last month or so. He had heard about him, but he didn't know about him. He didn't know what Jesus could really do. And so what did Ryan do to have his eyes opened? Nothing. Having spiritual blindness healed is an act of God's free grace. You don't earn it. It's, you know, it's unmerited favor. Kind of makes me think of that quote, if you ever see a turtle on a fence post, you know it had some help. <laughs> That's us, friends. That's exactly true. It's 100% grace to know that you are blind, and it's 100% grace to have your eyes opened to the truth. So the first phase is that our eyes are open. The second phase is that Jesus opens our eyes again and again and again and again. If you're right, taking notes, just keep writing and again. Look at verse 25. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. You could say that salvation is having our eyes opened, and that discipleship in the Christian life is having our eyes opened again and again and again, clarifying our vision. What's fascinating in, in, in this text in all of Jesus's miracles this is the only one that seems to not really work the first time did you think about that you think about all of other Jesus's miracles it's like boom like people I mean even just people just touching him and he, Jesus healing from a distance and and at, at, at a word and Jesus you know spitting on this man's eyes touching his eyes and it doesn't really work it's, it's kind of interesting. Most scholars agree that this speaks to the validity that this actually happened because what advocate, being Mark, would, uh, for a new religious movement would want to record an event of their leader not fully healing somebody the first time unless it really happened? This doesn't make Jesus seem like super powerful and effective. And so you start to say, well, then why? And, and if this is the only example that we know of, why? Why did Jesus not fully heal this man's blindness? He certainly could have. He did that in other scenarios. So why not here? I think Jesus wants us to see that he heals us in stages. Jesus grows us in stages. Of course, people can become Christians in a given moment, but I believe that the Christians that quickly grow over time usually at a glacial pace, right? <laughs> the reason why, uh, you know, the, the second reflection that I really wanted to, to kind of 
draw us to from my life. It kind of speaks to why I even wanted to teach about this text today. Chris said you can teach on whatever you want, which is kind of daunting. It's like, how am I going to pick anything? You know what? I don't know what, what, but I've been reading this passage, and the reason why I want to teach on this today is because it, it, it personally, it pricks me. It's, it's convicting to me. It's unsettling. I've been, I've been kind of sitting with this for weeks, and I, it, it kind of makes me squirm. Uh, you know, I, I want linear growth, you know, where, you know, you, you become a Christian and you're just slowly maturing every single day. It's just constantly like this. And I think the Christian life is more like this, right? Just up and down and back and forth and side to side and you know, I was talking to Becky about this and she was like, it kind of reminds me of one of those roller coasters where you're going and then all of a sudden you dive down and then you hit a black tunnel and then you're going backwards and that's fun when it's a roller coaster. It's not that fun when it's life. <laughs> but my life felt pretty steady for a long time when I was younger. And then adulthood has proven quite difficult. And I get an amen to that. <laughs> I find myself full of doubt some days. Other days I feel quite ashamed. And I think it's one of the things that's drawn me into this passage more and more of seeing Jesus heal this man in stages and seeing the blindness of the Pharisees, seeing the disciples get it and then not get it is the reality that life is hard and we make it harder. It's, it's hard to ask for help. And I think that's where many of us get stuck and it's why I think the disciples at times got stuck. I think it's what kept the Pharisees stuck because they were, the last thing that they wanted to do was ask for help. But it's also why most people kind of stop growing because it's hard to admit that we need help. It's hard to say, I don't see perfectly clearly. Can you imagine if this blind man, I mean, that, if he knows who Jesus is, and I'm sure his friends are telling him who Jesus is, you're going to get your sight restored. And then Jesus spits on his eyes and lays his hands on his eyes. And this blind man like, uh, it didn't work. Uh, I, see, I see men, but they're like trees walking. And, but he was honest. He was like, yeah, I'm going to be honest about the fact that I can't still, I still can't see perfectly clear. Are you able to be honest about that? It's a small kind of part in this passage, but one of the things that has also drawn me into this is when uh, it says that Jesus meets this man and it says that he takes him by the hand. He takes him by the hand. Friends, that's the Christian life. Jesus holding us by the hand, touching our eyes again and again and again. I often find myself going about the Christian life, seeing men like trees, my spiritual vision's blurred, and I know that I'll need the healing hand of Jesus the rest of my life, walking with a limp. But spiritual blindness is the biggest problem we face, our inability to see how blind we are. It's also one of the reasons why I love my job. <laughs> I love being a pastor, it's you know just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Friends, Jesus is the bread of life. We're healed by Jesus. We're healed over and over again, but we're ultimately be healed because Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. 
That's what Peter proclaims on behalf of the disciples in verse 29. If you want to look back down there, and they, and they, uh, in verse 29, and he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. You are the Christ. Jesus is not just a good teacher. He's not just, you know, a moral man. He's not just one of the prophets. You know, what were, what were these things that these people were, you know, that the disciples had heard that other people were saying about him? John the Baptist, Elijah, one of the prophets. And maybe you're sitting here thinking like, I've heard about Jesus and I think he's a good guy. That's why I'm here. I think he's got some, I've got some, some good things to learn from him. And, you know, I'm going to put that into practice. Jesus is more than just a good teacher. He's more than just a moral man. He's more than just an example that's set before us. Jesus is the Christ. And like the blind man's eyes slowly being opened and his vision being clarified, the disciples are also having their eyes slowly opened to who is this Jesus? Who is this man? And Peter's saying, you're the Christ. What does that mean? You're the anointed one. You're the savior. And Jesus, right after this, telling him, what is it going to mean, the fact that I'm the Christ? It's going to mean that I must suffer and die I'm gonna, on the cross, but I'm going to be raised on the third day. And Jesus, as the Christ, would defeat death itself. And with the resurrection, would defeat death. And one day, put a final end to physical and spiritual blindness. As J.R. Tolkien says in Lord of the Rings, He's going to make all the sad things come untrue. So with a new year ahead of you, I want to repose a rhetorical question to you, friends. Who do you say that Jesus is? If you aren't sure or like myself and wanting to learn more about this Jesus, come back next week. Chris is going to kick off a series through John's gospel. And some of you might be thinking about John chapter 1, the very first verse, John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. Spoiler alert, Jesus is the word. He's been with God since the beginning. Now we're about to sing to close out our time the song, All I Have is Christ. How appropriate. For some of us, we don't agree with that phrase. For others, we don't functionally agree with that phrase, meaning our lives doesn't really match up with it. But we need the healing touch of Jesus. And if that's true, that all we have is Christ, and it is, what could God do in this church and in this community with a group of people that believed it with joy in their hearts? Let's be a church full of joyful disciples. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word and uh, what a privilege it is to be your child. Lord, I, I just pray for my friends here today that uh, as you've worked in our lives in so many different ways, uh, you are the only one that knows our hearts. You're the only one that knows what's going on in terms of our vision being clarified and having our eyes open to the truth of the gospel. And I know, Lord, that, that there's people that, um, that don't have this all figured out. That's all of us. Some of us know it, some of us don't. We need your help, Lord. We need you to open our eyes to the truth of your word, that we be drawn in by your son, Jesus Christ, 
his perfect life, death, and resurrection that has made a way for us to know you and love you and follow you all the days of our life. Lord, will you help us to be your ambassadors, your agents of reconciliation in a world that desperately needs to hear the truth. Make us joyful, Lord. (laughs) Send us out with the song in our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.